We're in this Core 52 study, and so today we continue in our theme from Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. Now, one of the things I have enjoyed about this new phase of my life is time with the grandkids. (laughs) All six of them now are going to be involved in softball and baseball this summer down at Smithville, which will involve several nights of our week. A few days ago, we got all of the grandkids scheduled for the games, and Rebecca signed her list, Let the Crazy Begin. And I chuckled when I read that because I thought, you know, it is ever so fun, but it is ever so hectic. And I began to wonder, what what do people do today? What do families do today? What do individuals do today to find rest? I don't remember life being quite so demanding when I was a kid. Now, some of you may be saying or thinking, well, it's not a big deal. Let's just pack as much into life as we can pack in because you only go around once in life. So what's the big deal about rest? Well, that's a good question. What's the big deal about rest? Is it important? Well, according to several different sources and research projects, the benefit of rest and sleep really are incredible. Let let me just give you some of what is considered the top 10 reasons for getting rest. Number one, rest boosts your immune system. Research from the Mayo Clinic suggests that during sleep, your immune system produces proteins that are vital in fighting infections and inflammation. Number two, rest improves your memory. I I, I like that. Rest energizes you. When you rest, your body and brain re-energize cells. Clear waste and clear create memories that are vital to your overall health. Number four, rest stimulates creativity. You are more creative after you rest than after a long, arduous day. Rest helps keep you mentally and emotionally fit. Number six, rest improves concentration and productivity. Number seven, rest slows down the aging process. Yes, I think that was an amen I heard over here. (laughs) Number eight, rest can make you happier. Number nine, rest can decrease pain. And number 10, rest can make you eat fewer calories. To be honest, I haven't found that one to be very effective. Now, before we go any farther, let me describe to you what I mean by rest and what I think the scriptures mean by rest. By rest, I don't mean doing nothing. For me, doing nothing is more stressful than doing something. Spending time with family can be busy, but it's refreshing. Hobbies require activity on your part, but they can stimulate the mind and emotion in a relaxing way. Spending time with God and his people is inspirational and energizing. To be here, not just online, but to be here with other, others in the family of God just energizes us. You see, rest comes with a change of pace and a change of focus. It is a chance to slow down and recharge one's mental, emotional, and most importantly, spiritual batteries. Now, God as our creator knows that we need rest. Why do you think in Genesis 1 and 2, when we read through the creation story, that God rested on the seventh day? 
Is it because God was just so utterly exhausted in his physical and creativity sense that he couldn't do anything else? (laughs) Well, of course not. You, You know that's not true. God rested to celebrate the greatness of what he had created and more importantly, to give us a model for appropriate rest. God marked creation's completion by setting aside the seventh day as a holy day. His pattern of work, followed by a day of rest, is given to humanity as a blessing, not as a burden. It's interesting to me that throughout history, various experiments have been done to either add a day to the week or to take away a day from the week, and we keep coming back to this seven-day pattern as the best. I don't think that's an accident. So let me ask you this morning, of the Ten Commandments, which is the longest? If you answered number four, you would be right. And I can see some of you going, number four. Which one is number four? Number four. Number four is the one about the Sabbath. Let me me read it for you. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. More words for the fourth commandment than any of the other ten. Now, here's what we need to keep in mind. This concept of a Sabbath rest is not optional. It is a command. Just think for a moment. This is one of the top ten commandments that God left for his people. I mean, there are a lot of commands in Scripture, hundreds of commands in Scripture. But the ten commandments summarize the top ten choices. And rest on the Sabbath is one of those. The idea of a one in seven day of rest separated the Hebrew nation from the pagan nations around them. By the way, this is interesting to me. In recent years, chronobiology research suggests that the nature around us, God's creation, is on a seven-day cycle of sorts. Author Jeremy Campbell writes this, He said, body rhythms of about seven days, far from being passively driven by the social cycle of the calendar week, are innate, autonomous, and perhaps the reason why the calendar week arose in the first place. Fifteen years ago, few scientists would have expected that the seven-day biological cycles would prove to be so widespread and so long established in the living world. They are of very ancient origin, appearing in primitive, one-celled organisms and are thought to be present even in bacteria, the simplest form of life now existing. The guy's not a Christian that I know of, but he's writing this which only gives, well, it gives support to this concept of seven days is the design of God. What's more, seven in scriptures is very much like the number 10. It is a number of completeness and wholeness. And it is 
unique in nature around us. There are seven musical notes on the scale. Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. There are seven colors in the rainbow, three primary and four secondary. There are seven systems of crystals. There are seven directions, left, right, up, down, forward, back, and center. And if you have seven items of equal size, especially like circles, six will perfectly surround the seventh. I would suggest that God from the very beginning instituted a system that is just right for us physically, mentally, emotionally, and yes, spiritually. And Jesus being God the Word, through whom everything was made, certainly understood the principle of rest. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus often withdrew from the crowds to find rest. Now, in our text today, Jesus reminds us of the purpose of the Sabbath and the end and, and the importance of a spiritual rest. Now, in the end, I could tell you the story about this. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it's a place and time where the, the apostles and Jesus are hungry, and so they begin to glean from the fields. But I'd rather you see it. I don't know if you've watched The Chosen or not, but there is a scene in second season of The Chosen that is exactly about our memory verse today. Watch. Get back. Out of the way. You have made him mockery of our little synagogue and of Torah. You will tell us your name, your lineage, your... First you, and now your disciples, are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Have you not read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He entered the house of God in the time of Ahimelech, the priest, and ate the bread of the presence which was not lawful for him to eat, but only for the priests. You would compare yourself to David. It was an emergency. Or have you not read in the law how on Shabbat the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but are guiltless? That's for Levites. Are you a Levite of priestly lineage? Listen carefully. Something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Son of Man. Let's go. I want you to read the memory verse out loud with me this morning from Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Are you ready? Then he said to them, 
the Sabbath was made for man, and we, yeah, okay, <laughs> not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. All right, so you can work on that one. Try to learn that this week. You'll find it in your Core 52 study beginning tomorrow morning. Jesus reminds us that the Sabbath is a gift from God, not a punishment. So what can we do to maximize this opportunity for a Sabbath rest in our lives? How can we change our perspective, our behavior, and our thinking to make the most of this gift? Okay, a few things just to remember. Number one, this will help you with this rest issue. Practice gratitude. You want to find a way to make the Sabbath rest more meaningful in your life? Practice gratitude. We could say be thankful or be grateful. But I like the phrase practice gratitude better. Unfortunately, I don't know about you, but this is true with me. It is easy to go through a day without even practicing gratitude. If you took piano lessons years ago, but you haven't sat down to a piano for, for ages, the chances are that you'll probably remember the notes and their names on the keyboard. You'll probably remember what it means in the time signatures on the sheet music. <laughs> but if you sit down after ages away from the piano, I'm going to suggest that the first time you play, it's not going to be soothing music. Why? Because you're out of practice. Thankfulness and gratitude are that way. We understand what it means to be grateful, but if you haven't expressed gratitude for a season, you may feel awkward, even hypocritical when you do. You're way out of practice when it comes to thankfulness. And most often when we do practice gratefulness and gratitude, we practice it for the big things that happen in our life. We so often ignore the small moments. I, th I, I really do think aging helps with that. In our youth, we attend to tack life at a breakneck speed, and we don't oftentimes take the time to treasure the little moments. Here's where practice begins. Open your eyes, open your ears to the small blessings around you. When's the last time you searched for a rainbow in the midst of a storm instead of just accidentally spotting one while you're driving down the road? I still get excited when I see a rainbow because I'm instantly reminded of God's promise that he will never again destroy the world by a giant flood. That's God's bow I see in the sky. When's the last time you looked for one in the storm? It reminds me when I see one to thank him for protecting my family and his church through the storms of life. Go take a walk in the woods. How many bird songs can you identify? Or trees can you name by their bark or their leaves? Then practice gratitude that God knows when every sparrow falls from the sky. And if God knows when every insignificant sparrow drops to the ground, then don't you think he can care for you in a way that you don't even understand? By the way, do you recognize the term mast year when it comes to trees? Uh, take the oak tree, for instance. Every five to ten years, and seven, there's that number seven again, seems to be the average. But every five to ten years, the oak tree produces an abundance of acorns, more than in any other year. 
That's where it gets this term, mast year. Science can't explain it. They don't understand it, but we know that it matters. Did you know that only one in 10,000 acorns becomes an oak tree? But in the mast year, the squirrels go crazy with all these extra acorns. Other woodland creatures get a lot of acorns to eat. And the squirrels bury these acorns everywhere to the point that when winter comes, they can't remember where they buried every one of them. And suddenly, that buried acorn becomes an oak tree. God knew in the beginning that there would be times when an abundance would be required to make sure that life continues. So the next time you find an acorn, you practice gratitude. If God can produce imaginably more with an oak tree and a simple acorn, imagine what he can do through you. <laughs> My home preacher when I was growing up, I think it went something like this. Um, don't worry if your uh, life is short or your reward is few. Remember that the mighty oak was once a nut like you. So, when you take a moment and you see an acorn and you recall what all God has done in your life, just pause and practice gratitude. Because practicing gratitude will refresh your soul. Be grateful for a friend's hug, an encouraging note in the mail, a child's laughter, a neighbor's helping hand, or you just fill in the blank. Because when you pause to realize what God is doing in your life and you give thanks to him, it will help increase your rest. When we practice gratitude. We are changing our heart and mind and resting in him as he wants us to. Here's the second thing. Simplify your life. Not just practice gratitude, but simplify your life. These are complicated days in which we live. The information that comes at us is like drinking out of a fire hose. Are you ready for this? In comparison, the intellectual content of an entire lifetime of someone living in King Arthur's day, which was the 6th century, could be contained in one Sunday issue of the New York Times. Does that not explain a little bit of why we are overwhelmed with everything that is coming at us? Our vocational lives are complicated. 20% of the country relocates annually. Today's college graduates can expect to have 12 to 15 different employers prior to their retirement and three or more vocations before their retirement. Our technological lives are complicated. Today's technology is astounding. A friend of mine recently, just the other day, asked me to drive his electric car. Now, I had never driven an electric car and I came away pretty overwhelmed. I mean, it even has hands-free driving. You hit a button, let go of the steering wheel, and it drives for you. Now, I'm telling you, that's a new trick that this old dog does not want to learn. Makes me a little bit uncomfortable. It has umpteen cameras around the car for tracking one's every move. It records everything that you're doing in that car. If you're in an accident, there is a photo record of what happened. My 1929 Model A Ford stands in sharp contrast to the marvel of this 21st century vehicle. I am astounded how far we've come in nine decades. 
The personal computer was supposed to simplify our life and reduce the work week. It has done just the opposite. We are working more and harder than ever before. I thought perhaps that when we'd gone through COVID and were forced to slow down a little bit, that maybe some of that would stick. But it seems like we are embracing the chaos all over again. How much stuff do you have? And are you keeping around? <laughs> do you have clothes you haven't worn in decades but are still hanging in the closet? Do you have collections that you once found interesting but now they're just collecting dust? Are you like me that you save things because you think you might need those one of these days that may come in handy and then when the need comes up, you have no idea where you saved that thing that you kept? Maybe we ought to simplify life. Maybe we ought to simplify our attitudes too. When Jesus needed rest on at least one occasion, he stopped at the home of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. The sisters both stand alone on their merits and in the services that they rendered to Jesus. Both are examples worth imitating. Both give hope to confused parents that siblings can come from the same parents and be so utterly different, and that's a good thing. Both love Jesus with all their hearts, but on this occasion that we find the story in Luke 10, Martha went into full hostess mode to get a dinner ready for the master and became exasperated and exhausted while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus and listened. Now, I may be wrong, but I think Martha worried more than Mary. And worry is an attitudinal problem that stands in sharp contrast. You might even say an enemy of this concept of a Sabbath rest. Corey Ten Boom said, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. John Locke said, what worries you masters you. And worry itself is divisive. It comes from two separate words that mean to divide the mind. Worry divides our feelings. It distorts our perceptions and clouds our judgment. It is a waste of time. And Martha was worried that evening about a meal and finally exploded. Luke 10, 40 says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came in and to him, that is Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Did you notice she didn't even call her Mary? She said, my sister. She blames Mary of being lazy, and then she blames Jesus of not caring. Lord, don't you care that I'm in here doing all of this for you? Here's his response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, I suspect Martha felt a bit embarrassed, regretful, maybe even sheepish. I'm guessing she would, have been taken, she would have taken back those words, those angry attitudes, if she could have. But Jesus gently reminded her that there would have been plenty of time for supper later. But a personal moment with Jesus is priceless and would provide spiritual food for a lifetime. 
So this week, this week, take inventory of your life, your emotions, and your things. What can you do to simplify what you have? What can you do to simplify your attitude? What can you sell or donate or toss? What kind of worries can you surrender to the master himself? What thoughts and concerns fog your mind that you can't let go? Try to declutter your life, let go of some things, simplify your life so that you can find that Sabbath rest. Jesus told Martha, only one thing matters. And that's our third step in finding this rest. Set your priority on Jesus. Mary seems to have her priority straight. Do you know, folks, the three times that we meet Mary in the scriptures, she's always at Jesus' feet. Here in this episode, in their home, she listened at his feet with conviction. When her brother died, she fell at his feet in sorrow. And on the feast that honored Lazarus' resurrection, she knelt at his feet in worship and anointed his feet with expensive perfume. The response of our Lord to the two, Martha's moment with him appealed to his reason. Mary's moment with him touched his heart. And while Martha was consumed with a gourmet meal that would only have temporary results, Jesus was feeding Mary with spiritual food that would last for eternity. As a matter of fact, this is the food that Martha really needed. And by the way, sitting at the feet of the teacher was the place where the most devoted student could be found. And did you notice that Jesus didn't holler into the kitchen and say, hey, Martha, you get in here. You need to hear this. It was important. Martha did need to hear this. But Jesus will never force you to rest in him. Jesus will never force you to listen to him. He will never demand that we come into his presence. He waits for us to come on our own, to make him a priority, to be filled with him. Now, don't be critical of Martha. Many of us are like her. Maybe more like her than Mary. Both were gifted to serve the Lord. Both were necessary to our Lord's ministry. As a matter of fact, I like what John Hambly said. He said, sitting without serving is powerless. Serving without sitting is directionless. Serving after sitting produces power and balance. So, how do I change my focus here? How do I change my priority? Well, that's what I want you to remember. If you want to make this rest, if you want to be filled with Jesus, if you want to make him a priority in your life, then it starts by being focused. Do you need to find that Sabbath rest? To steal away from the world and be refreshed by the presence of God? Then be focused. Don't go off like a shotgun in dozens of different directions. Only one thing is needed, Jesus said, a relationship with him. And when that relationship becomes our priority, the rest follows and falls into place. You may wonder why we worship on the first day of the week instead of the seventh. Oh, that's because it doesn't undo the, the needed of rest. It's just that the first day of the week is the day of the resurrection. So we celebrate the greatest moment in history on Sunday. But the principle, 
the principle of what God is teaching us still applies. That we focus on him, that we make him our priority. The last thing I want you to remember is that if you're going to make this priority, not just be focused, but be filled. When you don't find your Sabbath rest in him, you'll become spiritually empty. And I'm telling you, empty people tend to drift from one thing to another, trying to find that next spiritual mountaintop. Empty people tend to be restless. Empty people tend not to pray or to read or to worship. You can't always tell that from the outside because we put on a good face. And sometimes empty people look like people who have their priorities right, who are filled, who are full of life if we just take a glance. But it may not always be so. You can look identical, but be far from where you need to be. Are you running on empty this morning? I got these two cans up here. (laughs) You've been thinking, when is he ever going to drink those Diet Cokes? Now, these two cans look identical, don't they? But I'm going to tell you, one is full and one is empty. From the outside, they appear the same. From the outside, they make all the difference in the world because you can't tell. But you start adding a little bit of stress. You start adding a little bit of worry. You start running on empty. And when pressure hits, you'll discover real quickly which one's full and which one's not. I can squeeze that can and it stays intact. I can put a little bit of pressure on that can and it folds immediately. That's your life and my life, full and empty. It won't take much pressure to crush you. Because you see, our most important role, this Sabbath rest, is to continue to be filled with Him. So can I ask you, what's draining you this morning? Why are you on empty? What outside pressure crushes your spirit? What worries you that Jesus can't handle for you? If you live life to the fullest, be focused on Him and be filled with Him because in Him and Him alone will you find your Sabbath rest. Do you know Him? He's the only one that can fill you to the fullest. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this day. Lord, we want to be filled with you. We want to find that Sabbath rest in you. We want to make you our priority. We want to become who you want us to be. Guide us, Lord. Direct us. And fill us with all that is you for every new day, that we might be grateful in your presence. Through Jesus our Lord, we ask it. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.